Face it, tiger! You hit the jackpot. In honor of Spider-Man No Way Home, who is your favorite cinematic supervillain? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and not to be uh, too film Twitter about it, but I'm going with Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men, because what do you need other than a cattle stun gun to end the world? I'm Matt Patches, and not to be too uh, film Twitter about it, but I'm going to go with Balaam Abrasix from Jupiter Ascending. To live is to consume. <laughs> no! It's me. Oh, God. <laughs> it's me, Dave the Seven, and not to be too furry about it, but Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman, Batman Returns. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and not to be too this week about it, but I, and my answer, I guess, is still Alfred Molina's Doc Ock and Spider-Man 2, but it was put, that, that opinion was put to the test in a big way this week. My answer should have been uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock singing If I Were a Rich Man. Oh, that, on, no, on that is set. absolutely correct. That is the yeah, right answer. Okay, good answer. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's, it's awesome. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 374.95, which looks like a library call number. Uh, but I'm, I'm taking Dave's decimals as gospel. Uh, it's pandemic 91. God, we're going to have to do a quarter quell for the pandemic episodes. We'll get to that later. <laughs> pandemic 100. Oh, no. Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, December 15th. That's the day that in 1939, Gone with the Wind premiered. You know, Oscar season. You got to get that movie out there while the uh, the screeners yeah. can still go out to everybody. Um, <laughs> Those 1939 screeners. Yeah, throw, yeah. throw the film on the back of a, of a, a, a motorless bike and away you go. <laughs> they had... They had then car motors by then at least the combustible engine combustion engine did exist fair um uh we're here with a new episode um this is our last regular episode before the holidays because next week you'll hear quarter quell it's happening Jesus yeah, I mean, no more decimals. It yet it's a very busy time to watch movies from 2011. Something <laughs> in the middle of fucking blockbuster bonanza and well, award for season. Elephants we're watching isn't your Limitless. top priority. I know, like God, <laughs> nope. True punishment. Uh, nope. This is this is the the lives we built for ourselves. So anyway, you'll hear the quarter call next week, but this will so be I'll our say, last. Say, Water for Elephants would be, I believe. The biggest non-superhero, non-free guy hit of 2021, if it were to come out this year. I mean, probably so, all of the greatest showman of, uh, that name. of its year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, this is our last regular episode of 2021. And on that note, David, do we have any reviews? We have one review. Everyone out there can thank Ben from Philadelphia for sparing them some more Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes talk, and there certainly is a lot to talk about at the moment. I saw so, Ma- uh... Mara Jade joined the game. <laughs> no, she no. did! Uh, what about we got you, Patches! patches. Stop! Patches. Oh, no. As much as I appreciate your enthusiasm, you are violating the spirit <laughs> of, our, our, of our review section. For those of you who may not be familiar, leave us a review, and we will not talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes for five will minutes before we not. get to the rest of the podcast. Uh, some would say that um, the actual podcast is no better than listening to us talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, but that's for you to decide. Anyway, no Ben from Philadelphia. A lot of people would say that. I'm just saying that. I said it earlier today to my son. He had no idea what I was talking about. Guys trying to be dads, <laughs> says Ben from Philadelphia. Hi, fighting in the war room. Instead of showering you with the standard plaudits, 
the podcast is great. It's a weekly comfort. Ehrlich is a bit of a crank, but he's my kind of crank, etc., etc. I thought, let's go with a prompt. On a long flight this week, I used the time specifically to catch up on movies that I'd missed from the last year or so. Ones that didn't quite compel me to get to the theater or stream immediately. I ended up watching Stillwater, News of the World, and Roadrunner, the Anthony Bourdain doc. The doc which I, David, now uh, have been meaning to catch up with for like seven months. Uh, but I don't know. As a was that this Anthony year? Bourdain, wow. It was. It was, that came was out in the summer. Year. There was a controversy about uh, right, computerized sure, voiceover. Yes. Um, we talked about it. But I stuff. was rewatching, as I am wont to do at any time, Anthony Bourdain episodes uh, over the pandemic and the idea of watching a documentary that sort of capped off his life and added a little bit of finality to it. Did not seem appealing to me. Uh, it was only in retrospect, back to ben, and Phil, ben from Philadelphia, it was only in retrospect that I realized I had accidentally self-curated a program lineup one could call guys trying to be dads to redeem themselves. Have any of you ever done such accidental thematic programming when watching things? Or are 90% of movies really just about guys trying to be dads? Happy holidays, Ben. Well, thank you, Ben. A wonderful review and a very intriguing question. Who wants to take this? I feel like this happens at film festivals a lot of the time where like you see four movies in a day and you're like, wow, all of these movies like were set in some like beautiful modernist house that I want to live in. This is the one thing I could think of where I saw a star is born and beautiful boy the same day. Uh, no one remembers beautiful boy, but there's a beautiful house in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I this is a familiar feeling. Should have called it beautiful house. Yeah, it was beautiful house. Not a great movie. <laughs> I would have remembered that. Oh, uh, we also got a, an email from an international uh, listener. Wait, hold on. Wait, no one, no one else wants oh. to field that. Oh, no one else. Was, I mean, this I'm not raising question. any children. I'm, I'm being, I'm being like, this is tough. Um, uh, I was just thinking about uh, Galaxy Braids, and for the past few weeks, that they have spawned a new segment, Galaxy Dads, because every, every movie apparently they've covered through the last like five months has had dad issues or a weird dad thing. From like Austin Powers to Dune, um, just like dads everywhere. So I might have to agree with the uh, listener here that just all I, movies are dad movies. Well, ironically, I, the last time I had this experience strongly, not at a film festival where your brain is working over time to try and find thematic links between people and sometimes settling on something as uh, banal as, as a house, uh, a chic boho house or whatever they're in. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, when I was on paternity leave, I noticed that a lot of the movies that I was popping on, which is the last time I really got to sit down and watch movies that were not for work, uh, for in, at least to this extent, um, were all about people sort of running away from their lives, which I found ironic at the time. I don't <laughs> think it was subconscious, but it was like Lost in America, Alice doesn't live here anymore, um, Desert Hearts, Midnight Run, um, a lot of a lot of films along those lines, um, Local Hero. The list goes on. Uh, and I capped it all off with, uh, with The Swimmer and Hardcore. It was actually a good run of movies. But uh, yes, I mean, I was a dad trying to, I guess, I don't know, redeem myself. My brain, I guess, was trying to uh, undo the, the fact that I had become a dad in the first place. Um, but... I mean, all that feels like good connection with art and maybe not to uh, leak into Nightmare Alley too much. But also, like, there's always a dad. There's always a dad. We'll get there. Um, oh, wait, wait, I have one more good one before yes. I, Dave gives his other one. Uh, on the same day, I watched the um, first two episodes of And Just Like That, the new Sex and the City series, and also Licorice Pizza. And the first episode of And Just Like That and Licorice Pizza both prominently feature Todd Rundgren, which is not <laughs> I expected in my day. 
You just that's, never know where it's going to That's like up. one run grin away from a potential Vandy fail. <laughs> that's like true. You, need, you need three. One more for the trend. The rise of run grin. Yeah, everyone let me know where you spot your next run grin. <laughs> uh, we got an email too. Fitwer, F-I-T-W-R dot podcast at gmail.com yeah, where we, we told. We email now. Wow. Internet. Yeah, we make we came up with that last week <laughs> because on, the, said it on, on the podcast. podcast. If you live in another country, my God. I mean, you should, because the the whole idea of reviewing on Apple Podcasts is, uh, you know, to uh, allow us to juice that system. Um, But this person, Liam from Edmonton, Alberta, uh, sent Mm. in a screen cap of his uh, June review, which was five stars. This is a good podcast. This is a good podcast. It's nice to listen to. The people sound friendly, and it makes me smile. And then Liam, Liam is added recently. Uh, it was made clear in your most recent episode that international listeners would have to find more creative ways to get reviews to you, which explains why this review of mine from last June did not prevent any Star Wars banter. Mm. I thought I might as well send it here. Though well, much has happened since June, David's beloved Rangers took a painful OT defeat I, to my I, beloved... I was about to say, I was if about Doom to Canucks. say, Liam, just for you and for this kind review, uh, I will send a, a thought into the world hoping that the Oilers pull out of their current five-game losing streak. <laughs> Uh, David's beloved The Last of Us converted my neighborhood into an apocalyptic wasteland for a few weeks. Jane Campion convinced you all that that is what Montana looks like, etc. My love (laughs) for this podcast has only grown. Wishing you all well over the holidays and looking forward to making it a thoughtful and friendly banter in 2022. What a lovely review. Thank you so much, Liam from Edmonton and Ben from Philadelphia. If you are a person from somewhere... Why not go on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room or email Fighting in the War Room at gmail.com? Although, you know, it does help us. Uh, Please don't email fitware.podcast no. at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and uh, we will read your review live on the show. And it's a great time for everyone. You won't have to hear anything about a Star Wars mobile game that continues to uh, reap money from wallets around the world for no good reason. Uh, anyway, moving on. Lots to yeah, talk about. Twenty twenty two. Bye. <laughs> no, you're not canceling the podcast oh. midway through the podcast. All right. Well, I mean, just to tee up our first segment here. Wait, don't. I know start we have breaks. <laughs> Do not start the segment, uh, Dave. I think your mic is funky. Yeah, you are. A little, you're very you're like, um, blown out. Do are I the sound audio- less clippy now? Yes, yes much much okay. better. Speaking of canceling the podcast, I threatened to do that just hours ago when I read on the internet that Dave Gonzalez <laughs> preferred licorice, oh, sorry, preferred Nightmare Alley to licorice pizza. Dave, would you like yeah. to expand on that opinion? Dave loves nightmares and What is Nightmare Alley? And what yeah, is, Nightmare why is it Alley good? is Guillermo del Toro's remake of a noir film from a year somebody besides me remembers. 1947. Although remake Wait, is, a, is a funny word here. I mean, I, maybe they have been using it that is word also to describe an, it, it. It's a remake the way that West Side Story is a remake. It is another it's adaptation exactly of that. source material that has been adapted but previously. But what's yeah. complicated about both those examples, I mean, particularly for Nightmare Alley, is that Guillermo del Toro has been outspoken, I believe, about saying that the his movie is as indebted, if not more so, <laughs> to the film version of Nightmare Alley than it is to the Well, it's like uh, so, The Grinch starring Jim Carrey. It's kind of like based on the book, but <laughs> exactly. you got to see the animated version. You're really spoiling our next the... segment. Oh. Or Lord of the Rings, I guess. I don't know. I like. Oh, uh, wait, what? I get. I get. 
Well, like if you're gonna make the Hobbit, you gotta throw back oh, to Lord of the Rings. Okay, but Lord gotcha. of the Rings is also throwing back to the Bakshi animation as well as adapting the book. True, fair. Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, Nightmare Alley. I I'm going to say it's an adaptation of the noir film simply because I think Guillermo del Toro as a director is like sort of like Quentin Tarantino esque in that he does like deep visual research and he's able to like recall it and tell you like crazy ghost films he likes and things and shots that he's copying. And there are certain sequences, especially early on in Nightmare Alley, uh, that feel not necessarily pulled from the 47 movie, which I didn't think I'd seen until I was halfway through this movie. And then I was like, oh, yes, no, I remember this. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's one of the, the like things I remember watching for noir that's not detective noir. Like, it's really easy to do like detective mystery, mystery noir. There are only so many carnival noirs so. <laughs> in the world. Uh, so Bradley Cooper plays a young huckster named Stan who, um, well, he's a huckster to be. He's a mysterious figure who shows up on a bus, uh, fleeing his life, shows up at a carnival run by Willem Dafoe and, uh, featuring many colorful acts in, including Tony Collette, who <laughs> is a medium and he sort of uh, sees in her skills a possible future uh, for himself and a younger performer, uh, circus performer, Rooney Mara, who he eventually runs away with about like halfway through the movie. Um, there's a lot more that goes on. And I don't think it's like a spoiler necessarily, like a lot of uh, films of the, like the late thirties and early forties. Uh, it could have several acts because it's telling like a much larger, I think metaphorical tale. And I do think that there are parts of this movie that um, could have, been a bit sleeker in their adapting process and maybe excised some certain things. Uh, for instance, um, the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie, Bradley Cooper maybe has like one or two lines and you're sort of introduced to this carnival and the way things run. Uh, it's sort of like people telling him what to do or just through visual language. And I yeah, think it's he really might be great. playing a 25 year old because people keep yeah. calling him kid. And it's very strange to see this it very, is very strange. Uh, aging man play a young guy. Well, but then is you he... have Ron Perlman walking around like he's the strongest man in the world. You're like, I mean, he is. <laughs> he's maybe the boy. ages are just maybe the ages are just shifted. He does punch Bradley Cooper universe. in the face, so all is right in the world. He does. Um, but then I think the more that this movie opens up to be more talky, um, I think talky. some of the some of the some of the, the the script doesn't hold as well for me in places as well as the visuals do. Uh, which isn't necessarily out of the realm of Guillermo del Toro movies, but is the thing that keeps me from saying this is like the best movie. I had a lot of fun with it when I wasn't wondering why it had Rudy Mara using like 1940s slang on the telephone. I'm just like, just right around that. It looks weird. It feels weird. I didn't like it. <laughs> what? Wait, was what is the slang? Was... Yeah, what? I, I don't remember this at all. Uh, she's like, uh, hey, she's crack a jack. Out. She's, <laughs> some, it, it's something like that. Like we're all on the Roger here. And I'm like, oh, man. Just like, don't. <laughs> don't just say, like, yeah, I will don't say, say that. Exactly, in, exactly. Inspired by Conan O'Brien, I busted out an Edward G. Robinson impression around Asa today. And he I, I he was in fits of hysterics. I mean, he was laughing so hard. Here, this is an audio uh, medium. So you, yeah, that's true. Let's, get, let's hear it. I was just like. I can't remember exactly what I was saying. There was this one sentence that really got into his head like an earworm. And I was just like, hey, you see here, kid. You know, hey, I'm going to watch TV now, eh? And he was just like losing <laughs> his mind. Um, and, Does that reference uh, come to us from like Bugs Bunny cartoons? That can't possibly come from film yeah. itself, well, right? Okay. 
Uh, I mean, well, Edward I mean, G. Robinson is just coming. how he spoke on camera. I know, um, but I'm just Bugs, like, Bugs I didn't Edward G. Robinson. Um, but uh, I will say there are a lot of things about this movie that I thought looked weird. Rooney Mara talking on the telephone in a, apparently in a synesthesiac, like visible old timey <laughs> accent to Dave uh, was not one of them. That's a trigger um, for Dave. I, he's, he's had a lot of bad experiences with old timey I mean, uh, carnies. More, I, I was using that as a role to where it's most obvious, I think, is when you put uh, Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett in a room and tell them to play noir. Kate Blanchett clicks in, and Bradley Cooper never clicks in to be opposite her. Like, uh, well, her character is just—it's it, like the big flaming signpost. Like you were in a noir. She is a beautiful blonde woman yeah. wearing amazing yeah. clothes, leaning it, on things. And the rest of the movie isn't that. And it, it makes her Kate Blanchett is almost in but, Sin City or something. I yeah, mean, yeah. it is obligatory for me to point out, as I have already done online, that I'm... she is stylized in this movie to look very, very similar to the character of Carol Aird. And there is one, one and only one scene in which she and Rudy Mara are Wait, in the what? same room together. And they. Uh, you didn't true. see this coming? I, I mean, I saw it coming, but I didn't see it. I, I don't know. I didn't realize what bad it was. You really think that she's styled to look like Carol? I mean, in the closer movie. to Carol than she is to Galadriel. I'm not saying it's deliberate. I'm saying it's a it's a period mid-century. Sure, she's not movie. going full hell um, here. I mean, the, but the scene in which she is sharing the, a space with Rooney Mara, they both look very, very similar to how they did in Carol, except for they hate each other and don't actually interact. Uh, and that is a huge demerit if you're going to go through the effort of putting them in the same movie. And this is a Terrence Malick problem, too, in Song to Song. I mean, people are just fucking with me now. But uh, <laughs> the look of this movie, like... All but one of Guillermo del Toro's, actually all, I think all of his digital features, uh, was shot by a guy named Dan Lawson. And, you know, I have no personal animus towards Dan Lawson, uh, but the look that he and Guillermo del Toro have concocted for their recent films, which is this hyper, hyper saturated, gothic tinged digital look, uh, very glossy, feels, you know, light years removed from what I tend to associate with the charoscuro of of noir, certainly the look of the uh, previous adaptation of Nightmare Alley and and of the book, which is one of the single darkest pieces of literature I've ever read, um, it, it it feels very very wrong to me, um, and it, it is closer to Tim Burton than it is to um, anything that you know Tyrone Power would have made at the height of his fame, and uh, it 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 really makes it difficult for me to buy into any of the. Uh, scene that they're, they're painting here i mean there are moments towards huh. the beginning and it's sort of this wordless prologue where things seem a little bit more steeped in foreboding that i was able to say like okay maybe i'll be able to look past this but the as the movie swerved towards art deco um that gloss of it all really made it hard for anything to stick we are going to pay for those expensive sets. You got to show them off. You can't put them in shadow, man. I think making them look good is a better way of showing. I mean, them they off definitely than, uh, show them just off. lacquering them in plastic. This movie is so Everybody. lethargic, especially in the first half. I feel Dave said that we see a lot of the carnival act. There are, are a lot of carnival act when Bradley Cooper's character shows up, and like we see them all. Right? I feel like every single moment of the carnival is depicted in its own scene, as opposed to like some gliding montage to set the tone of this movie. We, we have to go into every nook and cranny of this world that they've built. The movie is really long and really languid. And I don't think I was getting into it, like the drama and the kind of heightened noir action until maybe like the last 30 minutes of a two and a half hour movie. Yeah, this when is the, not my when usual the, when complaint. The plot, but... when, when the like 
not a heist, the scheme starts to take place at the in the last 30 minutes where you kind of get what Bradley Cooper and Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett all have to do with each other. There is energy that does not exist in the rest mm, of the Yeah, I mean, but it's also, it feels very rushed. It's one of those things where, I mean, it is considerably longer than the previous version of the movie, considerably so, and I'm not sure what it's doing with that time. But like the previous movie, it totally elides what I found to be the most interesting part of the novel, which is when Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett's character and Rooney Mara sort of wrapped in there as well begin going on this sort of like spiritualist hucksterism and takes a sort of religious bent. Um, That's kind of fun this- in theory. Like the first scene where they're doing mentalist tricks, all of that stuff I find entertaining, the actual act. And I imagine Guillermo del Toro also finds that entertaining as a guy who's who's into like classic spooks and classic tricks. And he loves he loves that part of it. He loves the magic and the mentalism in this movie is pretty entertaining. David Strathairn plays the mentalist that Bradley Cooper is learning all his tricks from. And hell of a cast. He does this act early on in the in the when he's first showing how his powers, quote unquote, work. It's really cool. Like I could have watched that a bunch, but nothing reaches that tone again. I mean, but this is we're beating around the bush. It's like this is really a movie about one man's sort of de-evolution. And Guillermo del Toro has argued, and I think this argument uh, is justified by the treatment of of the story, that it's less about him changing than it is about uh, revealing himself. I mean, there's this thing in the beginning of the movie where he asks, how does someone become a geek at a circus? How do they lower themselves to the point where they are living off of, like, fucking, like, paint thinner and uh, biting the heads off chickens when the police aren't looking for for quarters at the time? And then Willem Dafoe says, you start with uh, Man of yeah. Steel, and then you watch Batman, exactly. Superman, <laughs> Dawn of Justice. Well, I, I didn't realize how big a week Willem Dafoe was having, but uh, the... Um, Spoilers! Uh, uh, anyway, um, and, and so it's really a movie about getting to the root of this man and seeing him sort of expose that, that inner darkness, getting it, like, shoveling away at that until it's all that's left. Um, and going from that place where Bradley Cooper looks at the chicken geek and then thinks I could never be like him, I, he and I are fundamentally different, just sort of realizing how small the, the gap is between them and how circumstances are able to close it. And I think that, like, my biggest galaxy brain take about it, and then I'll shut up, is that, you know, Guillermo del Toro is philosophically and characteristically opposite from the car, the character of Stanton Carlisle. Like, Guillermo del Toro uh-huh. is a, is a true believer who is selling fantasy to us, fantasy that his audience knows is fantasy and appreciates it on that level and is able to like see some sort of value and beauty in it because of that. Whereas Stanton Carlyle is a con man who is trying to pass off his act to customers as though it were real. And I think the wires get crossed between them where Guillermo del Toro understands the trajectory that Stanton Carlyle is taking, but not the step-by-step process by which he goes from one end to the other. And because of that, the movie is basically just wandering in circles for two hours, which is why it feels so lethargic for all of its, um, you know, incredible cast and occasional beauty. And, you know, I, I really yeah, cynicism is not is not a language he speaks, really. And yeah. that's kind of what the noir genre is and what this story in particular is. And I think that's exactly right, David, that he's like he loves the circus and he loves the visuals he can come up with like bradley cooper sitting in this room that's on fire and you're like oh why is the room on fire and the answers that you get from that aren't satisfying because there's no real meat to the story other than that is the trajectory this character has to go on you don't so guillermo del toro is too romantic for this movie is that what you're 
Majestic. Isn't that the feeling you get from his other movies, really? Like, yeah, even I mean, when they're dark and gory, there's just like this, like, oh, my God, we get to do this thing. Energy. Yeah, weirdly, I, I love listening to Guillermo del Toro speak about movies, and I have interviewed the man, and he is absolutely wonderful to talk to. I do not love almost any yeah. of his movies. Maybe Blade 2 comes to mind, although I was getting in a, a tussle on, <laughs> uh, on on Twitter the other day about, like, Blade 2 maybe not being as good. It is good. I recently were watching. No, but, like, Hellboy 2 rules. Script. Like, yeah. like yeah. the <laughs> sillier, he's, he's great when he's being silly and i think there's some some deeper things are able to come to the surface in those movies yeah but i think whenever he uh tries to make these sort of larger more pretentious but films like crimson peak whether doesn't it's have that yeah can't get there uh, crimson, crimson peak has big digital look problems for me um and you know even the devil's backbone feels kind of lugubrious to me and shape of water i i don't know yeah. if anybody on this podcast really liked but um yeah i, I mean I th- yeah i mean i just i think I, I, Katie put it really well in terms of talking about the cynicism. I think that's the right way in. But Dave, you seem to disagree. Um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, taking a romantic stroll through this where the highlights have colors and the shadows don't is kind of like buy the ticket, take the ride for me. I definitely agree um, that it does like wander around in circles for a period of time because it doesn't know how to create forward motion for its characters uh, in a way that feels like organic. Like, literally, Kate Blanchett has to take out Chekhov's gun to kick the movie back into drive. <laughs> um, but I do enjoy the periods of time that uh, were, like, in the circus. I feel like it could have been just the circus movie, and it would have uh, also been fine. Uh, Doesn't that feel like the that, movie he really like, wanted to make? Yeah, that's like, where yeah, romantic kinda. Guillermo del Toro really comes out and shines. If they could have find, found a narrative to kind of just be about the girl who electrocutes herself. And right, because he loves these people. That's, I mean, why, that's why it's yes, so extended. Yes, he loves these people. From- he, loves, he loves these people. He loves the outcasts. He loves to make yeah. movies about yeah. how, you know, the, pe- the things and pe- creatures that we think of as monsters have souls and are beautiful. And it's men who are the true monsters. And now he's sort of literalized that. Um, by making a movie, his first movie, in which there are absolutely no supernatural elements. And I think that's an interesting place for him to start. But I think, yeah, he doesn't really know what to do with but it. But do you, I mean, I, it, yeah. In the, in the Shape of Water way, it, like, where they gave, he gave us, like, sex and uh, supernatural elements, uh, this is kind of a sexless movie, despite ha- having apparently two romances, uh, which d- also felt weird to me, but is also not part of his overall journey. So that, that just makes both the female leads feel kind of extraneous after a certain point. Yeah, so Guillermo del Toro wrote this movie with Kim Morgan, who is a film expert. I think she used to be married to Guy Madden. Now she's actually married to Guillermo, I think. Um, mm-hmm, that is, is besides, kind of beside the point. But, you know, I think she is probably a film noir authority, and them writing this movie together is interesting to me because I feel like I saw like the Guillermo half, and then the middle of the movie stinks. And then we get to the noir <laughs> half where I feel like Kim Morgan lets it rip or something. Who who knows who who authored which parts or how the collaboration really worked. But I will go to bat for like the last 30 minutes of this movie when it just gear shifts to true noir and there's bloody handprints and there's psychotic screaming and there's Richard Jenkins losing his shit on screen. And that is enjoyable in its own way. And I don't know. I like Richard watching Jenkins it crumble. 
Yeah, I like yeah. when this movie can get to its noir destruction, and that is but also, a spectacle uh, in itself. Mary Steenburgen has uh, one, oh of, my God. one of the <laughs> year's more interesting cameos. Yeah, her, her, her big scene is really good. Yes. Um, but like, also as the things are coming together, and I don't really feel like I need to spoil this, but like Kate Blanchett no. is a film fatale. Like, film fatales are very famously like, they know what they want. They walk into a scene, and they're like, hello, I would like you to kill my husband, please. And She's so opaque in this for right. no reason that yeah. I can really think of. And like, she's this very wealthy lady who's like going in with Bradley Cooper on the scheme to steal money. And it's like, she doesn't need this money. No. Like, why does he? She's an she amazing needs office. This doesn't make any. Yeah, she's an amazing office. She doesn't need the money. And I don't I it feels nitpicky to bring this up, but it's just this fundamental thing where like she no. looks great, but she doesn't mean it. Like, I think it's after the screening, we were kind of guessing what we were trying to do fan theory our way to some sort of logical collusion <laughs> like, about like her basic character, character I think the movie just of the exhausts villain. itself by the time those reveals come that like, it's it's yeah. in the book she is more uh, an adversary for him intellectually i mean like they are two con men like you know fighting fish staring each other down across the bowl and trying to um you know figure out who is going to be able to outfox the other one and it has almost like a death note vibe to it in a way i don't know why that's the first place my brain jumped of all the fiction ever created but um anyway the uh and, and that is definitely lost as katie is saying in this movie um you don't mind so much in the moment because she's played by kate blanchett and bradley cooper is an excellent movie star in his own right and um those every one of those scenes is wanting in some way but not desperately enough that you regret watching it but yeah when i think it's far from a nitpick when sort of taking in a macro view and just realizing that that second half of the movie doesn't have the force behind it that it needs, um, even when people are getting run over by cars and their faces, like, you know, tired off. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. But, gross, grossness, it comes yeah. in. I guess to wrap it up, um, it felt, even though it was lengthy and it lost uh, its way for a little bit, uh, like I think it sounds like we all agree on the end sort of manages to fall together and so like childbirth I mostly remembered the, the good the good thing I was left with tell me more thing. about childbirth mm. Dave mm. what's like your childbirth there? Well, your, own, you your own childbirth or what's you witnessed yeah like I, when Dave yeah. was born yeah, <laughs> yeah, I the hard part. yeah. you only I, remember I don't know the how fact much... that I was born not that you had the pain about me being born uh, I don't know how much credit that you know, can give anyone for telling the story and nailing the ending because the nailing is really baked into the text and you would really go after you would really have to go out of your way to fuck it up, but they absolutely do not fuck it up. So some no, credit yes, was due. It's great. We didn't we didn't really talk about Bradley Cooper in this movie too much as the performance. He's in like every scene. We'll I, talk about him next week when we talk about Limitless. I guess that's right. We'll get to his Wait, real. Are, are we ever, did we talk about Licorice Pizza already? Are we doing? Are we playing? On uh, we'll, we'll have to get there in January when it's actually yeah, playing for real people get, in this country. Really get to it in the top tens or something. We'll anyway, Nightmare Alley comes out in theaters. No one's going to see this movie, right? It's so unfortunate. But just like these, this movie is. Yeah, it's like exclusively no theatrical, right? Yeah, Look, I don't know who this movie. It'll is be on Hulu eventually. That's all I can say. Yikes! Great, and it's going Great. up against the Spider Man, and it is not going to win. Godspeed, Guillermo. What if it does? What oh, if it, what yeah. if wow, it what opens if... to $175 million? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Marley, we're getting Hang a sequel.
time to just say for the record, and I'm not going to be the first or last person to say it, but the Polar Express movie by Robert Zemeckis fucking sucks. It is wow. so <laughs> yes. incredibly bad. Why did you and watch my kids, it? Because it's Christmas and it's got a train Santa in it. And in they it. made this movie that's got Santa and a train so kids will watch it. It's just been like put into the canon as a holiday classic. Like, honestly, How did your kids hear about this movie? Who put though? it in the it canon? Was- and like, why didn't they shoot the cabin? It's on like TBS all the time. So you want you record one because I still have cable like an idiot. And you record like Elf off of T- TBS and they show ads with the Polar Express and your kids are like train. You're like, OK, that can be on in the background. Oh, kids and, like, love trains. Can't you just be like like I do with my kid to be like, hey, you want a muffin? And then they forget whatever the fuck was happening. <laughs> but see, here's the other thing about Polar Express. Like there's not that much that happens in it. And so if you're walking around doing other things, like it's not really that loud. It's not that obnoxious. It's just like. If you watch five minutes of it, it's the most lifeless, surreal thing you've ever seen. Uh, and so it's not the worst option. But anytime you watch any of it, I just cannot believe this movie exists. It's hard for me to believe that there was a Christmas classic of our childhoods that our parents hated the way that I hate Polar Express. And I'd be Claus? interested for someone at Santa Claus, like that, Tim Allen, Santa, call- the same. Santa I, Santa I, I cannot, I cannot imagine a, Christmas classic? I don't know. a parent hating the Santa Claus with the same sort of like inexplicable. No, they love Tim What Alan the fuck he, is uh, being done yeah, to no, our, like, our like our uncanny world. valley terror of the Polar Express, and just like this is like Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks who have given us so much, and yet this bullshit is what keeps. I don't know back. about uncanny valley terror, but there <laughs> is the animated Frosty the Snowman, which uh-huh. is shorter. The old but one? That just means it could be replayed and is full of songs. And yeah. everyone's oh, like, that's... well, let's go up to the mountain. Oh, I can. You know? I imagine as a background thing that would that's... have driven my parents insane. That's a solid mm-hmm. choice. Well, just as an obligatory uh, mention, I have to point out that you know, to this day, really the one and only bonafide Hanukkah movie is uh, Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights, which is really the polar express of the Old yeah. Testament. Uh, and uh, not that Hanukkah stretches back to the Old Testament, but we can pretend. When will and, you show your son uh, that movie for the first yeah, time? Yeah, uh, never. We will just be watching the last 10 minutes of Call Me By Your Name on repeat. I know it's problematic now, but uh, you know what Hanukkah, no, what no, Hanukkah no, wants. I don't Hanukkah think Army Hammer's in the last 10 minutes. So I think you David, can... how do you feel phone. about the Rugrats uh, Mac- Maccabees special? Uh, I absolutely Hanukkah. love all of the Rugrats Hebrew-themed episodes. We had a big Passover. Mac the Baby's going to do it. Uh, we had a big Passover dinner. Actually, I think it was just our first Passover practice run the year before we had a bunch of people over. Uh, we were just had one person over, and we watched after dinner, after our Seder, we watched the Rugrats Passover episode, and uh, it was a delightful time for all. Uh, you know, what you have now, though, is the, uh, speaking of licorice pizza again, the Haim update to the Hanukkah song uh, that they posted on Twitter. Sure. There's also David Diggs' uh, Hanukkah rap. Um, oh, really? He wants a puppy for Hanukkah. Wait, what Which, was that from? That was from some sort of special that they did, or he performed that on yeah, television. It feels like it. Yeah, uh, um, I'm a good podcaster. I have lots of good references to concrete things that I can recommend. Well, um, these are these are songs, but movie wise, we're, we're really let, coming up short. I, I have right, a Christmas-related question, and actually, I guess this is related to Robert Zemeckis because after Polar Express, Robert Zemeckis had the audacity to make <laughs> a second 3D animated motion oh, capture dare. Christmas movie. He made uh, and a third. A well, not another Christmas movie. But, Wait, what did he make? He made a Christmas. Well, well I mean, um, there was there was Beowulf, Christmas. but then somehow he returned to Christmas uh, after Beowulf, and he did a Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey, sure which a movie I kind of like. Uh, I like Jim Fuck Carrey off. playing all the different. It's scary too. It has it has like horror vibes. 
I liked that movie a lot more than Polar, Polar Express. Express also has horror horror vibes. It see, doesn't seem intentional. These are the kind of things that make me uh, distrust. So uh, this podcast is coming out on Friday. <laughs> Matt has already seen the new Matrix movie. That's I true. am seeing it tomorrow I'm night. To socially I react. have heard very discouraging things about it, but I really am looking forward to it. And I and loved Pat it. Has told I me that he loved it. And so a part of me was like, oh, I was relieved that someone I know uh, and respect in my own begrudging way liked this movie. But then I remembered some of the other I movies haven't that Patches likes. The Zemeckis Christmas Carol in a while. I just remember at the time being wowed by the camera motions and him like zooming through space time and all the skulls like melting off. I thought it was pretty intense. Here's my question. I've been thinking a lot about this. I think. Dave, I feel like, is going to have the most interesting answer here because, Dave, you're you're pretty political. You're pretty sociopolitical. Here's my question about Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol, obviously, Scrooge, a a bad man, right? Scrooge, Mm -hmm. he's the capitalist. He's squashing people. He's taking their rent. He's Mm -hmm. making people homeless. He doesn't Mm -hmm. care. He just wants money. He's and he's been doing this seemingly for decades because he's an old crotchety man now. Yeah. Um, and then one Christmas, he gets visited by ghosts who intervene in order to show him his way so that he does not die a horrible man and get tied up in chains in the afterlife. Are you before. explaining the plot of Christmas Carol? To me? I'm just setting up the stakes here. I'm trying to really <laughs> okay, make it. sure that we understand everything going on with the Christmas Carol. Sure, sure. At the end, he wakes up Christmas morning. He's a new man. He buys the biggest goose and he brings it to Bob Marley's house and and Scrooge is good. People love Scrooge now. He's going to give everyone fair wages and maybe lighten Did up you call on him Bob rent. Marley. Did I say Bob Marley? <laughs> yeah. Bob Marley. Right, there's, Bob Marley. There's Bob, there's Bob Cratchit and there's Jacob Little Marley. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Cratchit. I'm we, sorry. Given, Bob given uh, the entree. I'm drinking hot toddies episode, over here. I it's feel Christmas. Like we, really need to, it's... we really need to move on. Okay, wait. Right, here's my question. Like, my question is, yeah. is Scrooge actually redeemable? Like in this no. day and age, is why do people Ooh. accept Scrooge's redemption and and, no. and should they? Uh, I, no. I've seen certain Spider-Man movies that would argue he is. Oh oh He's no. redeemable. This is yeah. the, this is the, this is, the folly, this is the folly of the young. If <laughs> Jeff Bezos woke up tomorrow, like yes, fucking let's Scrooge, talk about Bezos, yes, and gave away all of his money, he would still be the person that woke up decades. You would dance on his grave when he dies. Away, not yes, absolutely. I'd piss on that grave when he dies. I hope I get uh, to because it won't be in space. But Mackenzie Bezos is giving away all of her money and being celebrated for it. I mean, I realize she's not the person who made Amazon, but is that not the exact same thing? What would Bob Marley? No, no, do? no. That's good, but he's but like, like Scrooge screwed the people into the ground, and then one day buys them a turkey and decides to give them Christmas off and heat for the offices. That's not a turnaround. But is this story like, supposed to teach her. you to actually allow for people to be redeemed? Like, no, it isn't is the this story a lesson of modern day Christmas, which is the rich people buy gifts one time for the poor people and is like, yay, Christmas. It's for Jesus. That's what Christmas. Carol <laughs> Do you think Scrooge is. did it again next Christmas? So no. what I said, when I said we, we should wrap up this segment, I was not expecting Dave to open up a conversation about whether redemption is possible in the human soul. Uh, but are you kidding? This is uh, it's me why, asking questions of the podcast. This is what is. Why, why, why don't we put a little pin in that? Uh, until, let us uh, let us know on, on your social we media don't... and email. Tell us if Scrooge <laughs> is redeemable. Exactly. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Some pretty, some fun.
que ta tranche des gants. Over the hills of snow, frosty the snowman was a jolly, happy soul. Uh, so I'm told that the fact that Patches was roasted on Twitter by Venom, who is in <laughs> what a the Spider-Man movies sometimes, but also in his own movie, has something it to do never... with the oh, new wait, Spider-Man yeah. movie, but I don't understand what. I think it's because David <laughs> wanted to bring up the fact that the official Venom account had roasted an excellent ass. roast of Patches. I mean, we could structure this review as me asking you guys questions about Spider-Man, but they would be so basic Katie. and boring that, well, like, let's let's start here, I guess, which is that <laughs> this is this we held the re- release of this podcast on Friday because Spider-Man: No Way Home is out now, and according to what Sony has decided to, no, not according to what Sony, according to common sense, like the movie is built. No, that's dumb. The movie is like Avengers: Endgame. The movie is completely founded on spoiler, mm. spoilable moments. It just is. Sure. And we're doing yeah. people a favor by talking about it when it is out. So if this I, conversation is I don't, th- I, don't know how, I don't know how you thought my thing was going to end, but that's where but I was we're not living. To. We're not living by Sony's word here. We're not controlled by the man. We have no ass. Let, let the, the important point that Dave is trying to make, Patches, the important point that Dave is trying to make is that this will be a spoiler-filled segment from, yeah. from now on. Yeah. So yes. if you, uh, I, I personally, Andrew Garfield's that, in the movie. Tell me the in the movie. All right, there we go. But 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 of course, you know. But even man, I knew that. This is, and I don't care about any of this. Oh, I thought I knew. Are they, one are they, they, one they, of the many reasons. That's suckling at the teat patches. That's what I was yelling at you for. Don't no, but do Katie, that. Katie is absolutely right because one of the, the many things that make this movie feel like sort of the the end of the end um, is, and not of the Marvel Universe, but maybe of all the universes. Culture itself. Is <laughs> that uh, there, there really, there are no spoilers. There are no surprises in this movie. Uh, and the alarm, there are alarms, but it's for cinema, baby. Um, the, uh, yeah, the problem, the problem is that like once, if you're at all We're talking about Spider-Man, what's happening no way home, culture, by the way. Yes, the, you can, you can extrapolate from, from any of the chatter that's been going on around this movie every single detail that's in it and you will still if you're anything like the people who were sitting around me at my screening last night clap like a seal when the inevitable happens uh but man i this is the most depressing movie I've not seen everyone follows all know. the news that comes out of i'm actually kind of with you david here's yeah. the plot of spider-man no way home peter parker has been out as <laughs> spider-man everybody is really mean to him about it because it looks like he killed Jake Gyllenhaal and I'd be mad at whoever murders Jake Gyllenhaal in the future. So I Wait, do people get... like Jake Gyllenhaal? I thought he was the bad guy. Well, it has no, very MAGA the... vibes. It's very much yeah. like, you know, the, the narrative has been spun by a select group of people. J. Jonah oh, okay. Jameson, media, played by, by J.K. Simmons. Wars. He's Alex Jones um, in this universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, that is not subtle. He is, so, he is like right. in the Alex Jones studio. Um, that Katie has a question. Are, uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is a this is a multiverse in which they we the other Peter Parkers are coming from other universes, but J. Jonah Jameson has been the same the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, he exists we work- in in Tom Holland's universe, but he's an Alex yeah. Jones type. But for some but reason, no, but, but he was in the Tobey Maguire movie. New York One Spectrum, New York One is covering Alex Jones. Wait, no, <laughs> but wasn't he in the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield movies? Hasn't he yeah. been in all? No, no, Katie, no Katie. he's not in the Andrew Garfield. He's not in the Andrew Garfield movies. Don't worry oh. about it. But the, uh, the <laughs> it, it really matters. Point, this is big. It's more important to point out that Pat Kiernan's voice is the very first thing here in this movie. I mean, that guy must get. 
stuff. crazy residuals from these movies. He must make more from Marvel than he does from New York One. But uh, this, uh, Dave, that, that is a question I want to serve to you because, you know, this is a movie about some morons who assume that they're going to get into MIT. Just right. three total fucking idiots who yep. think that just even if Why? they got so all sixteen hundred, but even if you got a sixteen hundred on your SATs, there's no guarantee you're going to go to a magnet school in New York. Oh my god! And they know R or fucking Spider Man. I mean, like, and that they think is a ticket. It, the arrogance—it's absurd. They don't get into MIT, and Peter Parker is so irate about this, so distraught. They don't get into MIT because uh, they're connected to Spider Man. Which also makes no sense, uh, because MIT has bought into the big lie, which is not plausible, even in uh, this movie's version of it. Um, and then their, the rejection letters say that. They specify why they don't get in, as opposed to just a form rejection letter, which also doesn't make sense in a real <laughs> Spider-Man world. Spider-Man can't get into college, and, and he makes a he's wish. He's so mad that all three of his <laughs> friends don't get into one of the most selective universities on the face of the earth, that he tries to turn back time and make everyone... Not even turn back time, but like make everyone forget him except yeah. for his friends. He asks Doctor Strange for help. Um, this movie has already sort of lost me several times over and we're still in the first 20 minutes. And then something goes wrong and we got a multiverse baby. And uh, that is where I pose my question. Today, and then which is, fuck off with whatever plot and those characters. Right. You like Spider-Man from Homecoming? Too fucking bad. He's not in this movie. You like but, Spider-Man from Far From Home? Too bad. Halfway through this movie, he fucks right off. And then... Yeah. Everything but, uh, you am, I, am I nuts or yeah, did we just get a Spider-Man multiverse movie not two years ago? Yeah, that's that the, that's was, why this is being made, because that was such that a hit. Was excellent. That, movie, that movie is one of the best Spider-Man movies they've made, if not yeah. the best. So yeah, so movie, but like this is a movie about second chances. It's about redeeming all these failed, not only characters, we didn't even but they're versions yes. of the friend. No, but I'm just saying that like it's 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 about redeeming these characters Giving them second chances, it's ironic that this is worse than maybe any of those movies, and so they're going to need third chances. But the idea of revisiting something for redemption when the prototype for this movie was so much better than this, I, I man, I... It it's a little embarrassing. It's a little yeah. embarrassing. It's, it's, it's really sad that how this movie plays like um, Aviar had got something on Kevin Feige, uh, and wow. then it was like... And maybe it's because he got to be on stage accepting an Oscar for Into the Spider-Verse, which, um, you know, Black Panther did not. Avi Arad got picture. to go to the stage and get, accept an Oscar for Inver- Spider-Verse? Yeah. I didn't realize this. Yeah. Wait, Avi Arad I, I, also gets... Mean, Avi... oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I just understand what Avi Arad gets something on Kevin. Like, this is Avi Arad's victory lap. Can we like, also give, like, one line This is a history. One is... line of background about who Avi Arad is. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. please. Right. Who gets Avi a major, major shout-out in the credits of this movie. Like, Thank you, Avi Arad, for saving Spider-Man 20 years ago. For being one of the true believers yes, of comic book movies. Just working. an amazing, stay through the credits, not for the post credit scenes, but for this amazing single line shout out to Avi Arad. It's crazy. So Go, when David. Marvel acquired Spider-Man uh, from Sony, it was because Amazing Spider-Man 2, produced by Avi Arad and Matt Tolomach, who are also producers on this movie, failed so badly that they had to rescue the property. Kevin Feige stepped in. He's like, I think we know how to do Spider-Man. Amy Pascal was getting run out because of the Sony hack. So she's like, you know what? Let's do Spider-Man. I'm going to be the center person in this deal. We're going to share the characters. Marvel's going to produce Sony movies with Spider-Man in it. That's homecoming. That's far from home. Really early on, Kevin Feige's like, let's not do the Spider-Bite. You know, everybody's seen it. We don't even have to talk about it. Spider-Bite comes up within the first five minutes of this. No, no. 20 minutes of this movie. 
Uh, they're like, let's not have Peter Parker, you know, swing through New York. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. That shows up here too. Let's not have Peter Parker fight on scaffolding. Isn't there stuff besides scaffolding? Guess where this movie's climax takes place. Well, There's but it so also, many... that scaffolding is also buried in a giant vat of mud. Like so much of this movie, which is all... just this like pallid brown disgustingness. I mean, all of it is a Sony Spider-Man movie in the guise of a uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie because this doesn't have as many connections to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it feels like because it is connecting to all the other shitty Spider-Man movies. And some good Spider-Man movies. I was about to say, come on. Spider- I not, actually like Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. So let's not... No, uh, no. So you were, I mean, you were in... <laughs> By the way, uh, I like Matrix here. Resurrections as well. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. When Electro's dubstep kicked in with the... <laughs> boom, boom, Wait, Patches, I, just I for... Just love for it. Thank uh, God we saw uh, Hans Zimmer and Pharrell's name in the credits of this movie. What's the one I'm looking once for? Again for? Starts with a P when you say... Posterity. Just for posterity at this time of recording. <laughs> which movie do you prefer? The Amazing Spider-Man 2 or The Matrix Resurrections? Oh, The Matrix Resurrections. I'm not going to... Okay, I mean, good. Um, Wait until we talk about but, top tens next year. But one of the one of the you know bizarre takeaways from this movie, where they have all the various Spider Men coming in and teaming up and uh, pointing at each other, um, and <laughs> although they kind of they like like so much of the humor in this movie, I mean, that John Watts, I think this really cements that he is far and away the worst of the directors to maybe ever make a Spider Man movie. Um, what and. Mark, you're what, giving you Mark think, Webb no, Mark, the edge yeah, Mark on Webb, John Watts. Mark Webb Homecoming is, is officially of gets the edge. These the past um, two Homecoming Spider-Man has its are, moments, are really but no, fun. the second Spider-Man movie I thought was awful. Oh was come one of the on, movies and it's this, really fun. I mean, this is obviously the bottom of the barrel, but the, it's just it's not it's not just that it's also ugly and the action is so mismanaged and the story is sort of what it is, but uh, it's also just the humor. So much of the humor feels like easy layups that miss, and uh, it, it it's. But it was bizarre to me because that seems like something that he was able to accomplish a little bit better in the Here's earlier the films. Thing that I think I well, laughed. Like maybe wait, but I sorry, just I was making a point about yeah, the yeah. Spider Man. But uh, but Andrew Garfield, uh, who was oh famously God. in sort of like the the most the biggest misfire of the Spider Man franchises or sub franchises, whatever the fuck they are. Uh, I think is the best. He's so Spider-Man. good. He is so good in this movie. He made me laugh. He made me cry. I'm Lights Cameron Jackson. Glad, it's fantastic. I'm glad they send him. I'm glad they send him back to write rent at the end of the movie. He's like, I have the idea for my my show, and then he go, off he goes. I just and he, the, the strains he, of thirty ninety playing as he gets on yeah, the subway. Yeah, he, he walks in with like tick tick boom energy. He, like whips he does. off his mask. And I'm like, oh, I've seen this character this year on screen. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I mean, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves because I do want to talk about the 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 film is pretty dramatic at times. Whether it's successful or not is something we should we should talk about because it's definitely trying yeah. to be kind of edgy and dark and almost doing another an origin story movie for Tom Holland Spider-Man at this stage uh, which is interesting but Andrew Garfield a- MVP of the movie I mean getting closure no, on the Gwen no. Stacy stuff from Amazing Spider-Man what? 2 uh Will- getting Willem all Defoe. the yeah, that, was, that was well done Oh I think Willem, Willem Dafoe really point 5 is actually the No you're MVP. you're right the man, the man can grin Dafoe is incredible yeah. just like 2001 all Willem the Dafoe is is the MVP How is he not in every case, Spider-Man movie Just in case Wait, do I get too worked up later Yes, they do. He didn't look yeah. so bad. I actually no, didn't because think because Willem uh, Dafoe still looks good. All the villain or the two villains from the Maguire series are DH. I didn't uh, think that Maguire looks great, but Maguire is not DH'd? Correct. No, that he is, just looks like he's in his mid forties. Does that make sense? He does. They're all pulled from They're all pulled from different points in the timeline. They're not okay. pulled. So Spider-Man's I mean, it's the same wish. vibe as Into the Spider Verse. 
Spider-Man's wish that he's like uh, fucked up is basically um, makes it so anybody who knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man gets pulled into that universe. So that's oh, why I... it's these specific villains from these past movies and the Spider-Man from these two universes is because they know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And we're supposed to be stopping a tear in reality from everybody who knows Peter Parker is Total Spider-Man. Total gobbledygook. Does not track, does they, not make any sense. They don't yeah. sell you on the emotional stakes of Doctor Strange wanting to not help his friend, this kid whose life has been ruined uh, by, by sort of helping him become anonymous again. That yeah. is the core of what's happening here. Doctor and they Strange completely, is a bad wizard. They completely, you know, pave over that in favor of all just this crap. I mean, it's, it's really... Ugh, the it's middle of this movie is a such problem. a drag when the, like, doc, Doctor Strange is chasing... Peter through the mirror universe and trying to get a box back because that could send zap all the villains back in one. I mean, the whole crux here is that the villains can be zapped back to their timelines with one easy spell. But uh, Peter, but every time he want to just kill hit them. a villain and they got zapped back to their little cage, I breathe a, a sigh of relief because it was just it was that much shorter until we. But could it's all just move like forward with this lives. movie is founded on such dumb logic from the beginning. Like it's just Peter Parker making a mess in in too much of a. A, a dumb guy way like every move is a dumb guy thing and it really started to bother me like just solve but the problems just do the do the normal thing so you're saying that maybe do. he isn't smart enough to get into mit he should not go to mit <laughs> he yeah. should not so here's uh, here's what might be the pivot point go to columbia um, where dumb guys go every yeah. everything right. you guys have been saying is absolutely correct i had a really good time mm. you had a good time i'll be honest I, I mean i think the movie is fun it is total I fan I, service. I think the, the reason the emotional stuff doesn't work is because I think everybody is like kind of having a good time being there. And it plays against the dramatic parts of the movie to have like Jamie Foxx walking around, basically changing his character into Jamie Foxx out of whatever the fuck he was at Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, he, he I mean, zapped like on the screen door, for the first right? time and says, I'm not blue. The metatextual yeah. element <laughs> of trying to not redeem the morality of these villains, but trying to redeem their place in the canon is interesting, I suppose, uh, because that is the very clear subtext to a lot of these conversations. It's not just like, oh, I was a bad guy, I fell into a bucket full of eels. It's like everyone fucking hated me because I was in a terrible movie. And so now let's see if I can earn some good graces and you know, people will shit on me less on the internet and so forth. And like, but like it, what worries me about this it stuff is something that <laughs> that that Star Wars handled admirably until it shot the bed. I mean, with the Last Jedi and all of its commentary on you know, cyclical generations and the things that we inherit and so forth, is that the only interesting things that blockbusters seem to know what to do now is comment on themselves uh, and the capacity for telling an interesting story, uh, moving the like setting the groundwork, or planting a seed for another movie to come along thirty years from now to to reflect on has been lost and. Um, you really feel that in Aunt May's death scene, which has absolutely zero dramatic weight to it, particularly Damn, in a movie. Why you kill Aunt May? Particularly you kill Aunt in a May movie she's the where Uncle Ben of this movie, she does the great response. The, the, yeah. the premise, <laughs> right? The premise of the movie is like nothing matters and everything can be undone. I mean, it's like obviously it's baked into so many comic book movies. Well, they don't I mean, undo her with death. Game. No, they don't. But like they, it's really hard given all the directions the movie is trying to move in to sell the idea that that matters in the moment. And so they just blow it. Um, and, I, I, uh, I couldn't even really remember important. who murdered her. And he's like, and, and then Peter Parker just throws everything out the window being like, everyone's redeemable. Every villain, unlike he says, he turns to the camera and he says, Dave Gonzalez, who loves me <laughs> so much, thinks that 
people aren't redeemable after a certain point. And that's not true, except for this dude who killed my aunt. He needs to fucking die. Well, and but it's uh, set that up doesn't that, really jive with the character either. The movie is setting up Andrew Garfield catches Mary Jane and Toby Maguire stops the glider, goblin from being impaled from his own mm-hmm. glider because this movie isn't about the Spider-Man is the center of this movie. This is a weird, like, I don't know, cuckoo that has narrowed into the MCU nest and somehow convinced itself it's a bird. It is not. It is a love letter to all the Spider-Man okay, movies. Like, sure, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a love letter to all the Spider-Man movies, which means it's a love letter to the Sony vision of what Spider-Man is. It's like Tony Stark is mentioned in this movie at the beginning, and yeah, Happy's around. And Ugh, then, happy. of course, Daredevil shows Made me up sad. Just because, like, why not let people cheer for a little bit? But then it's just all, it's all the Sony, it's all Sony payoff. And it's a pay, it's, it's a whole bunch of payoff for movies that are, like, at the, the newest one is 10 years ago, almost. <laughs> so it, it's The stuff really you're describing is, is, like, it works in spite of itself, though. Like, Andrew Garfield's whole beat of being able to finally save Mary Jane. Yeah. It, it, it I mean, I would be lying out of my ass if I said that. That's that's what I'm saying. I had effective. fun at this bad. I had fun at this bad movie. It that's the the part. Yes. Of the, it being bad is makes me sad because that's. I don't the problem think with Sony. Yeah. Is it bad? That's the problem with Sony. That's the problem with Sony Spider-Man movies. They don't know what's good or bad. They know what makes money, and this is going to make all the money. So they're going to uh, be like, look at this, so look at this thing we made. And the, I'm really telling cool. you, the casual so viewer, and I, I guess I sort of count myself among them, even though I've been professionally obligated to see all these fucking things, is is not going to make the distinction that you did about this being more Sony than Marvel. I mean, not with Doctor Strange playing as large a role as he does. Large um, role, it's, so it's in clearly, it for like 10 total minutes. The no, but he's so long. crucial to the plot. He's, he's... Um, it sets up the fucking multiverse next movie. It, it, it's in reference to the blip. And all this shit. I mean, it's like very much a part yeah, of. Ned's you can doing say it's, magic. It's creatively inspired by so fucking Ned. I mean, there's a. I mean, he has. I can't remember what it was because that's this movie. But I do remember thinking that he had the like the funniest line in the movie. But so many missed opportunities for jokes with that character. I think the whole there's like no real buzz. Was it? Between... Was it? I'm not gonna turn in turn evil and kill you. No. Okay. Good. Absolutely because not. he does. I don't know why they would go out of their way to do like a should comic be able. book. Easter Are you going to talk thing. about Zendaya and how they have no chemistry and no romance? None. And, and it's None. weird how like the first three Spider-Man mov- Raimi movies are just like all romance movies and there's just no spark between these two in three movies. It's very weird. Like we've jumped directly to them dating, but there's just there's no courtship. There's no romance. There's no smooching. They don't have a kiss. Would, oh, wait, no, they, they do, don't yeah. go on. I, I, they do, honestly, but they don't go given, on dates. They don't go given on dates. the vibe at the end and the, the a little romance, sort of inevitable. Please diner scene i feel like it would all have been so much more interesting if they had actually remained platonic mm-hmm. um the the vibe is in no way helped by their romance but i do believe you know to a certain extent he and ned and uh mj as this sort of trio of friends and i i think that the romance angle of it all falls so flat that it would have been more interesting and uh Progressive, maybe. To I feel like it. that was a lot of bad things, so I'm going to throw in something else. Uh, Willem Dafoe hands uh, Tom Holland his ass several times in this movie, and it's really fun to watch, especially as somebody who saw the first Spider Man movie after reading the comics and being like, Green Goblin's a Power Ranger villain. Fuck this. Uh, I think they really managed to uh, manage, balance out some of the fighting I do, there. I like how Willem we Dafoe were joking about it earlier, but how did you feel about the idea of these characters being redeemable? 
Um, you know, these characters who maybe unlike a Jeff Bezos were sort of victims of circumstance to a certain degree. They all fell into something toxic. I do which, like that they really uh, like, mention that over and over and over again. That they yeah. really like this was an accident. I was smart, or I was being conned by my boss, or something, and there was a problem. And yeah, they really go to great lengths to say that there were accidents that could be undone if these guys could save them. I think they are redeemable in this context. I think they're um, uh, the idea that they're redeemable doesn't fit in this movie to me because I get that that's what the movie is about for them, but it doesn't connect to anything that this Spider-Man's been through or like the greater MC. Like if you start talking about like irredeemable, but it does because that's what villains. the vulture was all about. Like the vulture had a chip on his shoulder. The vulture sure, yeah, yeah. did. Let's talk about have, the vulture. He was kind of right. Let's talk about Loki. There's so many things you could fucking talk about and zero of these things are mentioned because they can't. I mean, that's the thing. Don't. The movie's not very dramatic with the hunt to save these villains, right? There's something... No. They get them all together so early. There's no... They, Doctor Strange does send Spider-Man on like a video game type quest. Go shoot the villains and zap them back to these chambers. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't take very long. And it's not the movie. Like, they're immediately back together and then they all go to an apartment. And, and solve the yeah. problem. Oh, it's that so makes, weird. It makes no sense that the characters just sort of make this agreement that they're not going to cause any havoc, even though uh, Jamie Foxx, Electro, is is constantly saying how much he likes being in this world where the energy is different. He's even yeah. more powerful. And Sandman just uh, stays Sam the whole time. Now, my question to, to the Marvel sort of insider, Dave, is that uh, it was Thomas Hayden Church who does show up ostensibly in human form for you know a few frames was he ever actually on set or was he all just cg because even his uh, yeah. human form looks like cg through, glue through the statue of liberty crown he kind of looks like they're just using old footage from spider-man 3 or something also when did they put the fucking captain america shield on the statue of they liberty? were doing that there's stuff. a throwaway this, this line on tv in the movie that says they're replacing the torch with captain america there's also roger why the they would do this ads i don't understand also, the Statue of no. Liberty is gold in this reality, not not like no no green? no no Oxidized it is it is it's rock. been polished so they could add the shield to it patches learn some history. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's copper. It's 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 an oxidized copper. It just, That's why it's green. it looks strange. Doctor. Also, you can't you can't put red and black Spider Man with yellow lighting and like that would be uh, weird. You know, green goo with non reflective green. You gotta have. They also needed copper. to put something that they could destroy. On the Statue of Liberty without destroying the mm -hmm. Statue of Liberty. That wasn't Liberty. the Statue of Liberty, yeah. yeah. Because he can't touch Because Aviar had learned that lesson with X-Men. With X-Men, right, totally. That's hilarious. Uh, oh, wait, hang on, hang on. Should I bail, or are you guys going to wrap up soon? Because i got to let Michael go to bed. We can wrap no, up. We'll bail. We'll, we'll we finish wrap soon, up. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay. Stay. Hey, don't don't let me stop you. Thomas Hayden Church resiphons. Maybe one day tops. I have heard rumors that there was a Thomas Hayden Church motion capture session. Who knows if, if they used any of it for sunset? Um, yeah, Spider Man, No Way Home. I think Tom Holland's done. Let's go out. Really, I think How he's not. Mad Patches. I, I think his. I mean, Uncharted is going to be a disaster. I don't think he's a star. I think he's not going to know what to do in five years, and he'll come back. Well, there's going to be Cherry too. I don't know if it's up to Tom Holland, but I do suppose that unless he has you know, a lot else going on, this movie is going to make so much money that they'll probably figure out a way. They I mean, do he will mentor a Miles Morales live action yeah. movie. 
I mean, they may have to part ways with uh, Mary Jane and Ned, which would, I think, be for the best. Well, I think this movie sets that up completely. This movie's memory loss thing is designed to... would uh, be... Oh, I have a big question to wrap up this segment. Now, this is like a burning Mm -hmm. question. Marvel people listening in. Katie, you're even going to have an answer to this. So at the end of the movie... Cry me. they, They do a spell, and everyone forgets Peter Parker. Everyone in the world does not know Peter Parker exists, including like Happy Hogan and Mary Jane, all these people. No one knows he exists. He has no identity. Can't go back to school. He actually gets a, like a GED study guide. I'm not sure why he needs that. Didn't he apply to MIT? Like, just take the test, bro. Um, but at the end of the movie, he gets an apartment in New York. How do you get an apartment in New York with no identity? <laughs> there is no it way really Spider-Man does not have question. some money squirreled away. Yeah, does he just have some like weird bank that like if you show up with like a hundred thousand dollars in cash to rent an apartment? But sure it does, if it. he no, had it, a bank account before the spell, he wouldn't have a bank account because he would in not. In the beginning have of the movie, issued. they talk about how he and Mary Jane are hurt, and Mary Jane and Aunt May are hurting for money, and it's like there's just no fucking way that you can be a member of the Avengers, even an anonymous one. And not have a small, but it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter because he is erased from space time history. He is not part of the continuum. He has nobody after the spell. So it doesn't, even if he had a million dollars, how in does his he Avengers even get a vaccine account, card? Exactly. He's, 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 card? He, he can't, can't go to a restaurant. Uh, no, I'm, yes, he can. They just all forgot. He just has to do it all over again. He still has a, like a driver's license. No, wait, he wait, hasn't wait, existed. Wait. No one knows who he is. Did all no, of he does, does, no, I mean, everybody he have, forgot he existed? He would have the material possessions. That's right. He's he's right. able to go to Mary Jane afterwards and say, "My name is Peter Parker," and she remembers his name is Peter Parker. It's not an ever time spell. Like, he's wait, not but a white no, he, no, she does not. Mm-hmm. No, she doesn't. She yes, doesn't. She does. no, no, she, she doesn't. doesn't. No, she doesn't. No one yeah, knows. She her. says. She says no. car, coffee, Peter Parker, right? No, 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 no. Like she, It's because he says his name, Dave. She no, has no, no idea what, who he is. What, because yeah. he says his name. Yeah, what Dave is saying is like if a stranger comes and introduces himself to you tomorrow as Peter Parker, you'll say, oh, that's Peter Parker, I guess. That's someone I've never met before. But you right. remember but she has no recollection. from there on. It's a yeah. She has no recollection of who he is. Wait, yeah. I Peter Parker shows up to a leasing office being like, But your like bank account doesn't exist anymore if everyone has forgotten. Yes, it does. No, it does. It's just that people forget. The banks banks never forget patches. Oh, wow. Jesus. Maybe this question. has a deeper lesson yes, for us than yes. I thought. I, I have an important question linked back to one of our most uh, popular segments of recent months. Uh, did all of these villains come back from alternate timelines unvaccinated? Wow, did, yes. Are, is it like oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of them are wearing masks. Well, not injecting Green I mean, Goblin with anything. Do you think the fucking lizard is no, going to go into lizard, a CBS? No, we've learned from like crocodiles <laughs> that the lizard could get COVID. So he they're should gonna get go, vaccinated. They're going to bring Omicron back to 2002 and shit's going to get yeah. crazy. They need to think about this. That's, Who knows what variants are coming through the multi? I mean, Doc, Doc Ock Spider-Man, is Omicron. <laughs> vaccinated. I mean, the man believes in science That's even true. when he's being controlled I mean, all of them are scientists. So. I mean, but he got sucked out of a multiverse where he wouldn't have even had the vaccine, got put yeah. into an Omicron world, and then returned home, is what Katie's saying. Yeah, they Which, never cured polio you know. in the uh, Tobey Maguire <laughs> Spider-Man universe. <laughs> Very awkward. Very awkward conversation topic. Spider-Man No Way Home. It's in theaters now. <laughs> You've seen it. Stay through the credits and see a trailer for Doctor Strange 2. We'll have to talk yeah, about that movie. Top, Tom Hardy. So Tom weird. Hardy. That's it. 
Katie got snapped back to the multi through the multiverse yeah. where she originally came Twist. from. Twist. Katie has not been part of our universe this entire time. <laughs> we we finally cured her, and away she goes. Uh, that's gonna do it for this week's podcast. Uh, and I'm sorry, this year's normal fighting in the war room. This over year we were one of the best, according to time. Uh, <laughs> we will be back next week with uh, Pandemic 100 uh, Quarter Quill, whatever it is. Um, but until then, and until 2022, where can people find more of your work slash whatever? Tell the people who you are, Matt Patch. I am Matt Patch's deputy editor of Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Uh, go to fightinginthewarroom.com where you can listen to old episodes. If you've never heard a Court of Quell episode, you can go back and listen to those to get a feel for what we do, which is still talk about movies, just in a different format. Um, and don't forget to go in the next few days, watch Limitless, Super 8, Water for Elephants, Water for elephants. and 127, 127 Hours. hours. All, your films. All your favorite <laughs> Very movies. Very timely, important films that we're going to be looking back at because we've been doing this for so damn long. We're going to be looking back in an anniversary-ish way to our first full year of podcasting. It's still an applicable anniversary, by the way. It's not. We may have started in 2010. But we went a full year in 2011, so it makes sense. Anyway, fightingintheworm.com. Well, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the chief film critic for IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire. It'll be the first place to uh, see whether or not I ended up liking The Matrix Resurrections, because we're not going to be recording our episode about that until the new year, I'm told. Uh, so look out for that. More importantly, look out for all of us on your friendly neighborhood iTunes where you can go on Fighting in the War Room, leave us a review, we'll read it live on the show. No, no fucking Green Goblining up in there. Everyone be, <laughs> like, nice, reformed Electro. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Who cares? Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Uh, but right now, you can just find me on Twitter at DA7E. Um, you can also find Katie Rich on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And you can find all of us on Twitter at F-I-T. WR, if you would like to email us your thoughts or your international iTunes reviews, uh, you can hit us up on the email at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, have a happy holidays. We'll see you. I'll tell you when I'm done. Find the way to 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 find the way